Good morning. Uh, it's a blessing that um, we're here and get to worship the Lord. Uh, tonight we're going to have um, Michael and uh, Jessica Dunlop, who are missionaries to France. They're going to come and present the ministry that they're planning on doing. I want to ask Michael to come up right now and just give a um, brief little introduction so that y'all can um, see what is coming tonight. Good morning. It's a, it's a blessing to be here. Been looking forward to this for some time and uh, just grateful for, for the opportunity. I just want to introduce uh, myself and my family. My, I'm Michael, my wife is Jessica. We also have two kids, um, Amelia, who is six years old, and Jack, who is four, and they are not able to be here uh, with us this morning, but you can see their picture on our prayer card if you grab one. <laughs> one of the uh, things that we hear a lot um, as we visit various churches and talk about the ministry in France is, huh, I didn't know that France needed missionaries. I think uh, people think about the beauty of France, they think about um, the affluence of, of countries like France and Europe, and um, they think they're, they're just like us. They, they're probably similarly Christian to um, the United States or something like that. Um, but even we need, obviously, more churches. But um, France is actually very, very needy. Um, uh, estimates uh, are that about 1% to 2% of the nation is actually um, gospel-believing evangelical believers, um, believers in salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So there's a huge need there. Um, this morning we have sung a number of songs, and a, a few of them have um, pictured the, the peace and the hope and the strength that we have um, in our Lord. And that's, that's a peace and a hope and a strength um, that many people in France don't have. Um, there's a, a desperation there. It's one of the countries with um, some of the highest um, depression rates in the world. There is lots of beauty and there is lots of um, superficial things that you can see in France and, and lots of neat things to, to, to visit and tourist spots and the people are very friendly but, but deep down there is something lacking and, and that is um, a, a real understanding of the gospel of salvation by grace in Jesus Christ. Um, there's a, a, a long tradition of Christianity in quotation marks in France but that is predominantly Roman Catholic. And there is a profound lack of true gospel understanding there. And, and that is what, what, what France needs, is the gospel of Jesus Christ and faithful local churches um, that proclaim that gospel and live that gospel out um, in the nation. And that's why, why we are going there. We are um, on deputation, raising um, committed support to go to France for about 70% 70, 70 of what we need to get there. And um, our goal and our plan is to um, help uh, team church plant, plant churches, as well as um, work in a Bible institute, raising up and training up um, national French pastors and church leaders. Uh, but we look forward to being with you this evening, and I uh, look forward to getting to know a few of you, um, even between the service uh, this morning. Thank you. Awesome. So uh, we're, we're going to have, uh, before the before the service tonight, uh, before they share about France, uh, if you can come around 5.30, we'll have some cookies and some coffee, because I, I have a feeling that we'll be able to 
hear the missionary better if we have some coffee and a cookie in our hands. I just, I, I get that feeling. I, I don't know if it's true. Um, bring, you can bring a cookie. From what I understand, we, we don't want to bring cakes or, or pies because we'll have to use like utensils and cut them and so forth, and then we've got to be washing dishes and so forth. And unless, I think if you make a little cake that could be just picked up, you know, uh, or like a little pie, pecan preferably, that's just, I'm throwing that out there. Uh, it, we're kind of doing something in honor of them going to, to France, so we want it a little bit French. Uh, how do you make it? French, uh, I think you just double the butter amount, and it, it, makes, it, it makes it French. So uh, I would encourage you to come a little bit early tonight. We'll uh, talk a little bit, socialize, drink coffee, have some cookies, and then we'll get to hear about the ministry that they're planning on doing in, in France. Um, at the end of the service, we'll be partaking of the Lord's Supper, which was um, on the table as you came in, the, the elements. If you uh, came in and you're planning on taking the Lord's Supper, uh, you can um, raise your hand and one of the um, ushers will get you one, or you can just uh, step out and, and pick up uh, the elements for the Lord's Supper. We're in Ephesians chapter 2, and we'll be reading verses 1 through 3. If you would, please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Ephesians chapter 2, and we'll be reading verses 1 through 3. This is the Word of the Lord. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you were formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Let's pray. Father... I pray now that your spirit would illumine our minds. Father, for some of us here, we need to be convinced that we're sinners in need of a Savior. And I pray that today the spirit would work in that way and that whoever's here without Christ, who does not have a relationship with you, that today that person can be saved. Father, I pray for other of us here who um, we are saved and maybe we're not living for you, and I pray that the Spirit would convict us and show us our need to repent and show us what we need to change in our lives. And Father, I pray that the Spirit would also encourage those who have been obeying and following after you, and that uh, the Spirit would just strengthen and help them to continue living for you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> have you ever ever, ever had a problem? Like ever? Uh, I'm not going to ask you to raise hands, but uh, how many, if you were to analyze your life right now, how many would say, I am currently in a problem? Don't raise your hands, just think about that. I am currently in a problem. Something's going on in my life, and I am going through a difficulty. Now, when I say difficulty, when I say a problem, uh, it seems to be that there's categories of problems. There are first world problems. And those are problems that we, we face here in the States that most of the rest of the world doesn't face. For example, like um, 
For some reason, my Wi-Fi signal doesn't get all the way to the closet on the third floor of my 6,000 square foot home. And it's so irritating that I don't have full bars all the way up there in that closet. I mean, that's just frustrating. That's a problem. I got to call somebody to fix that. Or I order the salad and, and they put way too much goat cheese on it. I, I don't know what they were thinking. I mean, all you taste is just goat cheese. Or I ordered this eight ounce steak. Can you believe it? They brought me a 10 ounce steak. What, what do they think I am? A dinosaur? You know, like eating that much meat? No. Sometimes we have these problems that aren't really problems. If you uh, remember back in the 90s, uh, we used to go to stores that had movies in them. Do you remember that? Uh, and you could go and you could rent, and usually they, um, they were like a, a big tape, plastic tape like that. I don't know if you guys remember that. And uh, it, it was so, it was such a huge problem. Because what, what would the customer that previously rented that movie, what, what did they do? Or what they did not do? They would not rewind it. And then you got to put it in and rewind the thing. Oh, my word. Like, so those are problems that, that we face. Or I don't know if you, you remember this. You, you wanted to check your email, but your parents are on the phone, so you can't do the dial-up. And you kind of had to wait till they got off the phone. And then it would do the little dial-up. And if you had the one package with CompuServe, it, it could go to several different numbers if they were busy. And, and it was terrible when those, all the numbers were busy and you had to like go back in a little bit. You remember, those are problems. Those are first world problems. Then there's like real problems, like, like real problems that people will go through. Like, like my family hasn't eaten in the last three days. I have no money. I have no food, which means that they're probably not going to eat today. That, that, that's a problem. That's a big problem. Or civil war just broke out in, in my country, and all the airports are closed, and I have no idea how I'm going to get my family out of that, that's a That's a problem. Or my kid, he, he's got this disease, and the doctor says there's no cure. There, there's nothing that can be done. Those are problems. Too much goat cheese on my salad, that, that's not really a problem. You can move that to the side. But then there's like real problems. Now, we all have problems. The question is, is it a real problem or is it really just an inconvenience? Now, uh, we've looked at this letter, and the reason we have this letter is because a church in Antioch felt that God was moving them to send out Paul and Barnabas. And Paul, uh, on his second missionary journey, ends up going through Ephesus and begins ministering there. The result is that there is a community of people who begin worshiping God. The, the purpose of missions is to go and share about God so that people can have a relationship with God and be worshiping God. Now, it's not just to share the gospel. The, the end result is not just to go and share the gospel as much as you can to everybody and see how many decisions you can do and then move on to the next place but rather it's also to, uh, to teach them to observe all that Christ has commanded. And that's where this letter fits in, in the missionary program of, per se, of Antioch. Uh, as they had sent Paul out, he went and, and reached them with the gospel. Now he's encouraging them through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This letter goes to the churches there in the area, 
and they receive this and it helps them to grow. Now, it's not just to have information that's fascinating, theological information that's fascinating. That's not the end result. If you, and hopefully we haven't done that, where we've just come across just some fascinating facts about God and we're just like, oop. But rather, it should lead us to worshiping God. And that's why missions exist, so that we can have communities that worship God. A church sees a community that doesn't have people worshiping the Lord, and so they send somebody over there to preach the gospel and, and to disciple them, and so they can be reaching others with the gospel. Now, as we look at this letter, there is um, this letter teaches aspects of theological information, but it's so that they can be knowledge and action for their lives. What we're going to be looking at today is that we're supposed to praise God and live for Him because God's great power worked in us who were dead. That, that's what we'll be looking at. We're to praise God and live for Him because His great power worked in us who were dead. Now, Paul presents a very grim picture, uh, and it is the problem. It is the problem that... Uh, causes all other problems that you face. This problem that we have here is the one problem that everybody has, and everybody needs a solution to it. Now, this problem is, the problem is, is that we are, we are dead. Verse, verse 1 says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Now, uh, verse uh, of chapter 1 verse 19, talked about uh, God's uh, surpassing greatness of his power. And that surpassing greatness of his power was demonstrated in verses 20 through 23 through the fact that God raised Christ, he seated him, he gave him all authority, and then he made him head over the church. This great power of God is demonstrated in Christ. Now a shift happens and this shift is towards those who are dead in their trespasses of sin. It moves to what Paul is addressing specifically to the Ephesians. It goes from mentioning God's surpassing greatness of his power working through Christ, and now it's going to be towards them. Now we have this, uh, this very long sentence. Uh, in fact, it goes from verse 1 all the way to the end of verse 7. It's a very long sentence. And, it, and it's interesting because the subject is not right there up at the top where you would anticipate a, a normal subject to be, but rather the subject is found in verse 4. And the subject is God. And uh, there, the verb is uh, not found in verse 4, but it's found in, in verse 5. The, the verb of the subject God is that uh, made us alive. That's the verb. He made us alive. And uh, there's uh, two other actions that he ends up doing, which is uh, found in verse 6, raised us up and uh, seated us with him. So we have this subject, which is God, and the action is that he made us alive. And we have at the beginning there in verse 1, uh, the direct object. I'm like, why in the world is the direct object all the way in verse 1? Uh, shouldn't it be after the subject and the verb? Well, this is how Paul is uh, writing and describing. Now, the important thing to see about this is that he starts off by mentioning, and you, you. 
Now, this is not a continuation of, because of the conjunction, it's not a continuation of, of chapter 1 of that thought. Rather, he's breaking and he's going to be addressing them. Even you. And uh, he, he uses a, a participle to say that they're dead. Now, the New American Standard has translated it as were. You were dead. Uh, but it's actually a, a present participle, being dead. And that being dead is making a reference to a time previous to the action of verse 5, when God made them alive. So before God made them alive, their state, their condition in which they lived, they were uh, being dead. That's the state that these people were in. They were dead. Now, when we think about this word dead, uh, how do we understand dead? What, what does dead mean? Well, it can mean of a dead body where the person no longer has life. Uh, that doesn't seem to fit when we start thinking about here that they were dead physically. Contextually, it doesn't make sense because it says uh, later on uh, that they lived in the lust of their own flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind. So they, they were involved in some type of action. So what other condition of deadness could they possibly be in? If they're not dead physically, how are they dead? How are they dead before God made them alive? Well, they're dead spiritually. Now, how in the world do we get dead spiritually? And we have to now develop this a little bit theologically. How is it that he's dead spiritually? we would have to pick up the context in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. You remember as it's talking about the creation and God making things and, and the rivers and so forth, uh, it says that there is a garden and God placed Adam in that garden. And he placed also in the garden uh, two trees. One was the tree of life and the other was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God said to Adam, hey, you can eat any tree you want. Enjoy it. Have all the coconuts you want. Eat all the mangoes you want. Have all the apples you want. Eat whatever you want except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't, don't eat. Don't eat it. Uh, in Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 and 7, we see that Eve ate and then she handed it over to Adam and Adam ate. And at the instance of that happening, their eyes were open. In the opening of their eyes, they did two actions. The first was they went and got uh, leaves to try to cover themselves. And the second was that they hid. They separated themselves from God. In fact, God comes looking for them, and he's calling them, and they're hiding. Now, what happened there at that moment? They're grabbing leaves, and, uh, and they're hiding. Those are two actions of, of people that are not dead, right? We, we don't see dead people going and grabbing leaves, and furthermore, they don't go and hide, you know? You, you can leave a dead body somewhere and go back, and it'll still be there. They don't go and hide, right? So how, how is it that they are dead? Well, now they are dead. They are separate from God. They, they're distant from God. There's not a thing in the world that they can do to take a step closer to him. In fact, if we look at the Genesis 3 narrative, 
it is God who takes the first step towards Adam and Eve. Furthermore, he takes the second and the third and the fourth and the fifth. He takes all the steps to move to them. Adam and Eve don't do that. They don't go towards God. They reluctantly come after he calls them out. Now, we see this death, and this death, it spread. It didn't just stay with Adam. And you can see that through the narratives. Uh, as uh, Cain and Abel, you see death and separation living apart from God. It just permeates all of culture. And, and it, you see this further developed in Romans chapter 5, 12 through 21. We saw that last week, of, and specifically the fact that Christ was a, a second Adam. But through there, death permeated all, all. All are born dead. All are born separated from God. And not only are we dead, as it says in verse 1, but it says, in your trespasses and sins. Now, uh, how are those trespasses and sin? Is, is that causative? Because we have trespassed in sin, we are therefore dead? There is a theology that got developed that thought, People are born innocent, and it's because they uh, eventually do something wrong that then they become sinful. It's not causative here. This is not a causative. It's in the sphere of. So you are dead, you are dead, and not only are you dead, but it's like you have a, um, a blanket. And the blanket is two things, which... which um, you're not supposed to just parse these things, but take it as a totality of, of all evil that you do. Trespasses and sins. Those, those thoughts that nobody knows that you have. Those comments that you've said under your breath that no one heard. The, the, the hand signals you made to the driver in front of you, but you didn't let the driver in front of you see. All those things are like a blanket that wrap your dead corpse. You're wrapped in it. And he's saying, and you, you, this is your condition. You're dead. And not only are you dead, but you're wrapped in your own sinfulness. You're in the sphere of your own sinfulness. Uh, can you imagine saying that to your neighbor in the morning? How are you doing? You're dead. Not only are you dead, you're wrapped in Have a good day. How, how many friends do you make with this type of terminology? Can, can you imagine telling somebody this? And Paul is very direct and he tells them, this is your condition. Before God worked, this is your condition. Now, when we look at this and we think about this, I'd like to make two observations about it. The first is understanding this idea of being dead. Now, there's, there's two kind of big uh, theological thoughts about being dead. The first is a total inability type idea of death. And this total inability usually uses kind of an imagery of, of, a, of a stream and a dead bear. And uh, the, the dead bear is in the stream. And other than stinking, what can the dead bear do? Well, it can do nothing. It just floats in the stream and goes wherever the stream so desires that dead bear to go. Total inability. Uh, so there's, there's that side that, that believes that. Then there's another side that says, 
dead, dead is, uh, is really, dead is not really dead. But what it really is, is, is everybody has this, this little spark, this little spark in their heart. And what you have to do is you kind of have to fan it a little bit. And if you fan it, that, that goodness comes out. And if you bring in a, a proper society, a good education, if you have loving parents, if, uh, et cetera, et cetera, that spark can grow. And, and they'll be a good person. That's not what it presents either. Uh, there's a, another option as we look at this, because there's no spark of goodness going on here at all. Uh, there is another option as we think about this, in, in the idea of being dead. Now, the, the Bible presented God moving towards Adam. Adam did not search out God. He, he, he didn't take a step close to God. God went and searched for Adam. Furthermore, it was God who closed Adam and Eve. And furthermore, it was God who gave them hope. Uh, at the call of God, Adam responded. That's what he did. He responded. Now, you would have to throw in a bunch of New Testament Reformed theology to say that somehow the Spirit came and gave him life to be able to respond to the calling. It doesn't say that at all. You, you'd have to like permeate a whole bunch of theology into that to make that say that that's what happened there. What you see is that God calls and he answers that. Now, to make the situation a little bit more complicated, we have a, a parable, Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. Now, in Luke chapter 15, you remember the story, it's the prodigal son. Here is this, this, this son, and uh, he, he wants his inheritance. And he goes and he tells his dad, uh, I, I want my inheritance. Can you imagine? I wish you were dead so I could have my money. Uh, I, if I was the father, I would say, it's, it's not your money, it's, it's my money, I'm still alive. <laughs> uh, you know, I, uh, I don't think I would have gotten very far, but he gives him the money. And what does he go in and does with the money? If you look in the Greek text, it actually says the words Las Vegas, where he went to. I'm just kidding about that. He, he goes and he, he uses all the funds, every bit of it. He wastes it all until he finds himself feeding pigs and eating the food that he's feeding the pigs. Can you imagine getting that low? Can you imagine being in that situation where you're eating the food that you're serving to the pigs? You're fighting over the same food that the pigs are eating? While he is there, he remembers, he thinks, you know what? I believe that it would be better off serving my father than being here. And in that, he, he's acknowledging the goodness of his dad. And so he takes off and goes running towards his dad, sees him at a distance, and he goes and he hugs him, and he, and he wants to do a feast. And, and in verse 24, he says uh, he wants to have this feast because... My son was dead, but now he's alive. Same word. He was dead, now he's alive. 
Furthermore, he says again in verse 32, he was dead, but now he's alive. This, this aspect of death and the prodigal son, it, they were separate. The only option he had was to turn back to the father. That's, that's the only option. That's the only thing he could do. Now, as, as we see this, uh, you think about, uh, to complicate the matters a little bit more, Romans chapter 6, verse 2, uh, the believer, when they are saved, they are dead to sin. And if they're dead to sin, they're not supposed to continue sinning. And how many Christians do we have here that haven't sinned the last week? Don't raise your hand. I said that, right? I said, don't raise your hand. Somehow, even though we're dead to sin, we continue doing it, which is an interesting thing, even though we're supposed to be separate. Now, please don't, don't understand me. Don't misunderstand me here. The only move a person can make towards God is by believing. John chapter 3, verse 16 through 18, if you believe in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you can have eternal life. That, that's the only thing you can do. There, there's nothing else you can do. In Acts chapter 16, you remember Paul is in the, in the jail, and there's the earthquake, and he, the, the jailer thinks that they've all escaped, and he's about to kill himself. And Paul says, hey, we're all here. And the Philippian jailer asks, what must I do to be saved? He says, what? Believe. Believe. It's the only move you can make. There's not a single work of righteousness. There's not a single thing that you can do to earn, to close that gap between you and God. The only thing is believing in the work of Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 24, uh, 21, 1 through 14, you have the parable of the feast. What did they have to do? They had to accept that invitation and come. That, that's all they could do. Now, as we think about this, and we contemplate this being dead, it's important to think about how, to what extent this goes to. You might say, you know, I've, I've got a, a, a pretty granddaughter. She's so cute. Uh, she's just adorable. Without Christ, she is dead in her sins. Well, I, I have this sweet grandmother. She, she bakes the best French cookies and makes the best hot chocolate to go with them. She, she's just wonderful. I mean, she's wonderful. That, that's fantastic. But outside of being in Christ, she is dead, separated from God. I, I have a super helpful father. I mean, this guy, whenever I, I need to call somebody, he's, he's there. He, he comes. <laughs> that's great. That's wonderful. But apart from being in Christ, the condition that the Bible presents of the person is that they are dead, and not only dead, but they are wrapped around in their trespasses and sins. The, the view is very grim. There's only one move they can make, and that is to believe in Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Now, some will uh, have an issue with this. They'll say, ah, you know, that, that believing... That believing seems like a work. And, and furthermore, if I am believing, I'm going to get to heaven and I'm going to, I'm not going to laugh, but I am going to say I'm better than those people that are suffering in hell because I believed and they, they did not. Well, believing is not a work. 
In, in, in no way, shape, or form is it a work. We are sitting inside this building because we are believing that it's not going to fall on us. Now everybody's wondering, what would it fall on us? What would happen if it fell on us, you know? We're, we're sitting in here. Could we, could we really stand up here with the people that, that built it and be like, we did this because we're in here? Could we partake in the congratulations and, and, and be like, yes, we did this together? No, that would be absurd. We have no part in, in the planning and the executing of this building. We only benefit of sitting inside of it. Please understand that God made the first move. He made the second and the third. In fact, he sent his spirit to convince us of our need. Apart from God working and coming towards us, there is no salvation. There's no stepping towards him. I take a step towards him and he takes a step towards me. No, he's taken all the steps. All that is needed is not a work. It's believing, accepting that he's a benevolent God who has given, offered you salvation. The other observation that we can make from this text is this whole present tense of that participle. It's translated as a past tense, but it's really a, it's a present tense. Now, this present tense is referring to something that was in the past because it's referencing to that time before God made them alive. Now, there are different groups of people here. There are some people that this death, which death means separation, you were separate, but even today, you are still separate. You've never had a moment in your life where you realized that you're a sinner and your sins separated you from God. Furthermore, you, you've never realized that you need a Savior because, I mean, come on, you're basically a good person. You've never put your faith in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior because you're a good person. You have some small problems, but you're not like one of those killers. And your condition today would be that you are dead and you continue to be dead. You were separate and you are still separate. There are others here that are separate, that were separate, and now they're alive. And they're alive because at a certain moment in their, time, in their life, they realized that they were a sinner. And they realized that their sin condemned them to eternal separation from God. And they put their faith in Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. They, they believed that His work satisfied God's wrath, brought peace with God. And now they're alive. And then there's a third group. And that third group is that they were separate, they were dead, they were saved, but they choose to live separate from God. An example of this would be found in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 1 through 5. The, the situation there is there's this guy and he's involved in the sin. And Paul tells the church that they need to kick this person out. And that Satan might have his body, but at least his soul would be saved. It's a person that chose that even though they were saved, they chose to live in sin. And I believe that we probably have 
sum of all three groups here. Those who are lost, those who are saved and living in fellowship with God, and then those who are saved, but they don't live in fellowship with God. The idea of living in fellowship is kind of tedious. It takes too much time. You've got to get up too early on Sundays to be in the community of faith. And then the whole Sunday evening thing, what's up with that? Who thought of that anyways? And Wednesdays, I don't want to be in this community of faith. Now, as we think about this, Paul is advocating for the fact that they're dead. The hope, the hope we're not going to see until we get to verse 4, but the hope is found in God. Now, what can you do if you are dead in your trespasses of sin? Well, God, who is rich in mercy and his great love, he has provided a way of salvation, which is Jesus Christ, who came and died on the cross and bore your sins. And if you will put your faith in, in his work, then you can be saved. Paul desires for them to grow in knowledge and in love. Now, what we've been looking at today is that we're supposed to praise God and live for him because of his great power worked in us who were dead. And the question that we need to contemplate right before going into the Lord's Supper is, are you still dead? Are you still separate? I would encourage you now to just bow your heads and meditate for a little bit. Have you ever had a moment where you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Or if you are saved, are you now living close to the one who gave you life? Or are you living separate from him? Father, I pray now as we contemplate our, our lives that um, your spirit would show us what we need to repent of, of what we need to change. And I pray that we will do that for your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.